Hello, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm Brandon Wood. And I'm Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith and spirituality beyond the fences and the confines of institutional religion. So thanks for joining us for episode 40 of the podcast. It's the 15th episode of our second season. And Brandon and I are really excited. Uh, we've got some uh, some interesting guests today. Um, we're talking to Amy Jo Hutchinson and Sister Quincy Howard of Faithful Democracy. And they're going to be talking about the For the People Act, which is a massive, um, not just Voter Rights Act, but a massive act that is currently before Congress to make some really needed reforms in voter rights and voter access and election reform um, that have needed to happen for for quite a long time. Uh, you might be familiar with Amy Jo. She kind of went viral on uh, on social media about a year ago when she testified before a congressional committee about what it was like to live in poverty and to have to live with the rules that people that are very often out of touch with the folks that they're affecting make. So Amy Jo um, was sort of a viral sensation there about a year ago. And then Sister Quincy is part of the Nuns on a Bus movement, which has been across the U.S. trying to, to help folks uh, mobilize and organize for kind of grassroots efforts through communities of faith to work within our democracy. And just a heads up, due to the way we record, we record via Zoom, uh, there were some audio issues that happened via phones and computers and internet, um, but the content is just too good. So just a heads up on that. Right. And please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Amy Jo Hutchinson and Sister Quincy Howard. Um, so I think the word activism, it could be anything. It could be showing up for a training, you know, just because you're fed up, right? It could be making a phone call, signing a petition, signing a letter. Um, there's a little plug there, but uh, so I don't want the word activism to scare people away from this um, because it doesn't have to be loud and scary. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. Brandon and I are really excited today uh, to have two guests with us to talk about um, a really important issue that's happening uh, in our world, the For the People Act, which is um, the Voting Rights Act that's before Congress. We're going to unpack a little bit about what that is and what it means if you're not aware of it and why that that's, why that's important for people um, who are in faith communities, who are, are deconstructing from faith or from church. And um, we're going to get into all of that. So really excited to welcome our guest today, uh, Amy Jo Hutchinson and Sister Quincy Howard. So welcome to the Ac Accidental Tomatoes podcast. Yay. We are so excited to have <laughs> you both with us today. So, yeah. So Amy Jo, why don't we start with you? Um, I, I just invite you, you both to introduce yourselves, tell the folks a little bit about who you are and what you do uh, and the work you're involved in. And then we'll kind of get into some more of the specifics of what you're doing through um, through Faithful Democracy and, and the For the People Act. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. So I'm Amy Jo Hutchison. I live in Wheeling, West Virginia, and I am the West Virginia organizer for the Faithful Democracy Campaign. Um, trying to get faith community organized and involved in the For the People's Act. I met Sister Quincy uh, a couple of years, well, a year and a half ago, I guess now, um, when I was testifying in Congress. 
I don't want to touch too much on that, Joe, but that's how, that's how <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, if, yeah. if your name is familiar to people, it's because you went a little bit viral last year <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, with, with right. your testimony to that. Was it the uh, Congressional Committee on Oversight and Reform? I had to write it down. <laughs> Committee on Oversight and Reform, right? Um, yes. Where you kind of just laid Congress out for not understanding yeah how their work affected poor people, right? Yes, and I met Sister Quincy. Um, I think she was the first person, and I know she was the first person in the whole world to ever hear my speech. Um, she called me up, I think it was a Saturday, wasn't it, Quincy? And we, I was sitting in a McDonald's parking lot, and uh, we went over my speech together. So um, she was my big supporter from the beginning, yeah. And she yeah. contacted me um, in April. She heard that I left my former place of employment, and she said, are you still available? And so it was a no-brainer for me that I needed to come and work with Quincy. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Oh, yeah. To get, to get jazzed up. I watched that video again this morning, uh, of you testifying and, and I was just like, let's burn it all down. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's out on the windows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Amy, Joe, after you and I kind of got introduced, uh, through our mutual friend, Gene, um, and, and started talking about doing this podcast episode. I sent that video to Brandon and I said, check out this badass that we're about to have on our podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, I watched it when it went viral and I didn't put two and two together until Joe sent that video. And I was like, no way we get to talk to her. Let's go. <laughs> You're giving us so much cred right now, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. I still take my garbage out myself, so guys. That's what I tell my daughters. I'm like, people think I'm living this rock star life, but I'm still uh, carrying my own trash out every week and getting the snow off my own car. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. Well, Sister Quincy, why don't you give us uh, give us your little uh, your intro? Tell us who you are and, and where you are. So people might know you if they're familiar with the Nuns on the Bus um, campaign project. I I came across some of the, the stuff you've been doing with that movement um, on the web. So yeah, so who who is Sister Quincy Howard? Hi, thanks for having me today. I'm thrilled to be here. And anytime I get to spend with Amy Jo is always a treat. Um, so I am Sister Quincy Howard. I'm a Dominican sister of Cincinnati, and my congregation is back in Wisconsin. And I came to Washington, D.C., which is where I still live, uh, about four years ago, for my ministry at Network Lobby for Catholic Social Justice, um, doing lobbying and advocacy for policies, federal policies that reflect Catholic social justice values. Um, so that it's in that capacity that I met Amy Jo because my boss, Sister Simone, was also testi testifying in front of the OGR committee. And um, and I do remember uh, thinking, oh, this Amy Jo person, I want to make sure that you know her speech is as as powerful as it can be. And if she needs any help, I want to support her. And as soon as she shared it with me and I saw it, I, I was like, okay, well done and done. Um, she's got it covered. And at that point it was really just a matter of, of helping her feel comfortable and recognize that sort of her, her how important her voice was in that arena. Um, and she just brought an authenticity and a realness to, to that hearing that, uh, it's rare. It's rare. I'll, I'll put it that way. So it was um, really a, a gift to be able to accompany her on that. And we, we just hit it off. It was one of those sister spirit moments where um, it was clear that we were like-minded. Um, so 
Uh, I have been with Network Lobby, as I said, for four years. And then the last year, year and a half, I've really been leaning into our democracy work at Network Lobby because we cover all kinds of issues, including um, food, food insecurity, healthcare, immigration, and one of them is democracy. And we recognized organizationally that that really needed some um, extra TLC these days, so to speak, based on what we've been seeing happening. And, um, and, and we continue to need that attention on our democracy. It's something we take for granted, I think, mm-hmm. in many ways. So, um, so that's, that's where my work has sort of evolved into these days. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. So, so let's dive right into talking about For the People Act. Uh, for those who don't know what it is, could you give us like a brief explanation and, and why it's so important? Yeah, sure. I um, I can talk about what the what is in the bill. Um, I, I do want to brush on one thing that you said, Joe, that is very true, but it's it's a little bit nuanced. You said that the For the People Act, which is S one or H R one, are the sort of bill numbers of it. Um, you said that's the voting rights bill that's in front of Congress right now. Very true. Um, there is also, however, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would restore right. the, the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Um, so both of these are sort of two parts of the same coin. Okay, um, and that's helpful, yeah. Yeah, it, it causes a lot of confusion because the, the voting and elections reforms in the For the People Act were actually written by John Lewis as well. Yeah. So John Lewis has his, his fingerprints all over both of these bills, and they are both equally necessary, but they do very different things. Um, and right now we have the For the People Act, which is in front of Congress. It is moving. It has already passed the House, and it is likely to get stuck in the Senate on the filibuster, like so many other bills are known to to have that fate. Um, So what the For the People Act would do is it it is, you can think of it in three areas of reform. This thing is massive. It is comprehensive. It's like the ACA of democracy reform is is what I hearken, what I liken it to. Um, And that really is where its strength lies because it is, taking various bills that have sort of languished in Congress for the last 10, 15 years that get at campaign finance, they get at voting rights, they get at ethics and politics, and it brings them together in a comprehensive way. So it is it is such an effective approach to fixing the places that most need to be shored up in our democracy to make it as true to the original ideas as possible. So the three areas of reform in the bill the first one, which I mentioned was written by mainly by John Lewis, is um, has to do with voting and elections, election administration. Um, and what it would do is essentially set a basic standard for access to the ballot for people all over the country, whatever state you live in. We learned in 2020 that there was a lot of discrepancy and um, a lot of leeway that states could take in how they decided to to manage their elections. And there was a reason for that design. However, what we have been seeing more and more is that states, many states have been abusing that leeway to restrict the vote. And we also know that since Shelby ruling of SCOTUS and 20 of the Supreme Court in 2013, that those protections that were there to prevent states from doing that 
have been stripped away. So it's really a free for all. And we all depend on the kindness of the state legislatures not to suppress the vote. What we've been finding is that that's, um, that's not how things are playing out. So what For the People Act would do is put in all kinds of um, standards really for access to the ballot, 15 days early voting, same day registration, you can go in and vote. If for some reason you're not on the registration rolls, you can register right there and then vote. Um, things like access to mail-in ballots, uh, no excuse mail-in ballots is part of it. It doesn't mean you have to vote by mail, it's not mandatory, right. but everybody should have that option. Um, and, and then there are also sort of election security measures about voting machines and how to make sure that systems are sort of standardized and modernized and function as well as they can. And there's standards that are set for how elections should at a baseline be conducted. Um, so that's sort of the, the first area of reform. Wow. And I should mention also, this is a very, very critical piece of that first area of reform is that the For the People Act would ban partisan gerrymandering in the redistricting process, mm, which yeah. we are just about That's to good. move into. So it's critically important that this bill pass soon. Yeah. And, and what it would do in lieu of sort of letting the legislatures decide how they want to do that process, and we know how that often rolls out, they would put in place some, some guidelines for independent redistricting committees to take it out of the hands of those who have the most to gain or lose by redistricting in specific ways. Right. Um, so, so that's sort of the first area of reforms. The second one gets at money and politics, which um, we all know is seriously problematic these days. Um, we have seen between 2016 and 2020, the amount of money that has poured into elections and campaigns has doubled. In 2020, it reached $14 billion, which I, I can't even wrap my head around. So we know that the, the amount of money pouring into our politics is growing exponentially. And there's essentially no check on that as things currently stand. Our Federal Election Commission that's meant to monitor those things is completely dysfunctional and has been out of commission. They can't get a quorum because of partisan infighting. Hmm. So it's, it's sort of a free-for-all right now. And the For the People Act would do two things that are super important. You can't take money out of politics because the Citizens United ruling of the Supreme Court essentially equated money with speech. So right. unless you have a constitutional amendment, that is what we're dealing with. So what you can do, however, is try to diminish that influence in our politics. And one of the things that the Supreme Court said in that ruling was that it is critical to have robust disclosure of the money that is going to influence our politics and our elections. Um, and that is, that is a necessity in order for money not to completely overtake everything. And what the For the People Act has in it is um, another bill that's been languishing in Congress since that ruling that would add robust disclosure requirements for very large donors and for um, what we call dark money groups, super PACs, to make sure that the donations are traced back to the source. So right. it would add that's this good. layer of disclosure that um, is, is critical. And the other thing that the bill would do is set up, so we have right now our... Um, our campaign finance system is completely privately funded. That would be like having a 
uh, fire, uh, fire department that's funded by a homeowners association or a gated community? And how might that impact their quality of service to different areas, right? right. There's just inherently going to be increased influence in how public servants respond to the needs of the public if they are privately funded. So the For the People Act essentially sets up an alternative system to finance those campaigns. What it would do, it's, it's quite beautiful. Um, small donors, up to $200, if they donate to their candidate of choice, that gets matched sixfold. Um, and the part of the, the beauty of that is that the candidate would need to opt out of super PAC funding, for example, and lar the largest donor funding so that voters can know where their candidates prefer to get their money, right? Mm -hmm. Are they a candidate that is funded by dark money and large donors? And that's sort of who they presumably would be beholden to, or are they funded by looking to small donors and popular support based on their ideas rather than what they can do for special interests. Right. So it, it really just shifts the, the equation and the considerations in a pivotal way. And another beautiful thing about this that I need to mention is that that six-fold match that I talked about for the up to $200, that wouldn't be funded by taxpayers. That would be funded by an additional fee that is added to, um, for example, corporate malfeasance settlements or campaign finance donors that are caught doing things that are not according with, to the law and have to pay, pay up. There would be a small fee attached to that that would then be used to amplify the voice of small donors. So it's, it's sort of channeling the wrongdoers, channeling that money into the regular people that want to support their candidates. Yeah. So it's kind of poetic in that sense. And then the last thing I'll just brush on the last area of reforms, which are, are critical, are about the ethics, uh, government ethics, essentially. A lot of the norms that we, many Americans, including myself, thought were law, and we have seen over the last four plus years sort of fall by the wayside because they're just norms and have depended on politicians complying by them because that was the expectation this bill would codify those into law. Like, for example, um, presidential candidates disclosing their tax, their taxes. Or, um, uh, for example, if uh, with the Trump administration, all of the um, business interests that he had, he never really contended with those conflicts of interest, as we know, when he became president. So there would be specifics around what the expectations are for candidates and um, elected officials when they have lots of investments in the market to ensure that there's not conflicts of interest and they are in fact keeping the public interest front of mind and don't have sort of ulterior motives. So all of those things together, um, you can see it's much bigger than voting rights. Yeah, it yeah. is about sort of how, how we participate, how we're able to participate in our democracy. And it's also about how our leaders are accountable to the people. Wow. Okay. That's so helpful because I think so often, I, and I don't, I don't want to sound like hypercritical of the media because I'm, I'm a former journalist. Like I get the, that role, but I think there's a tendency to kind of dumb it down um, because it is like, it's complicated and it's nuanced and, most of us don't expend the mental energy, right, to, 
to dig deeply into it. So that that explanation is so helpful to see um, kind of the whole broad spectrum of what this act is going to do. Um, so Amy, Joe, let me kind of turn to you real quick because <laughs> I think there's a perspective. So there's a, there's a faith perspective on this um, that I think, you know, both of you are all obviously speaking into, and I want to unpack that a little bit more later, but, but there's also this perspective of why this act is important to, you know, the common folks who, you know, the people that you've been advocating for, you know, obviously here in West Virginia and in Appalachia, but also in a, in a broader sense um, through, through, um, through the work you've been doing. So just for, for the everyday like voter, um, you know, middle to lower income people out there, why should they get behind this? Why is this important? You know, I think this is the thinking about this bill. Um, typically, my, most of my work is focused on anti-poverty, right? Right, um, right. Because of my lived experience, and the thinking about this bill has really unpacked a whole new level of thinking for me. Um, I find myself really nerding out my brain now. <laughs> but I, you know, when you speak about poor people and people living in poverty, you know, in disenfranchisement, right? Like uh, we don't understand the system. We don't take the time to get to understand the system. And it's because we were always taught and we're led to believe that we just don't belong in that system. So why should we even bother? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're in any sort of um, marginalized group, you know, and I think one of the things that really strikes me about this I had to saw when uh, Sister Quincy was speaking was if everyone who has told me since that video that I should run for office would call Senators Manchin and Capitol right now and tell them this bill needs to be passed because we live in a state where our median income is $46,000. And I don't think people understand, especially people who really aren't into politics or, you know, feel like they, they have no space in this realm. Um, I don't think they understand. I don't understand. Um, the amount of money that it takes to really run a successful campaign, especially here when you're coming up against the mansions and the Capitals and the McKinleys, um, the Moonies, right? Right. Who not only have money and power and privilege before they ran for office, but they also have all of those connections that are able to uh, get that money to where they don't even really have to put up campaign signs. You know, yeah, where yeah, if a girl yeah. like me was to run for office, I would have to have campaign signs on every corner of every part of the state. You know, and so I think um, that was one of the things that's really been going through my mind is I, I think this bill would be a fantastic way for us just to get ordinary folks um, the opportunity to be able to create a space to even entertain a thought for office. Right. And, you, you know, I'm sitting here. My whole perspective is, man, we really need people like us in office. I hear that a thousand times a month from folks, you know, but we don't understand all the obstacles. And I think that this bill would be a fantastic way, you know, especially when you're living in a state that has one of the nation's highest rates of poverty. Why shouldn't you have an elected representative who has that experience? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why Trump was so popular here is because Trump just seemed like one of us. You know, he didn't care what he said. He didn't care how he said it. He didn't have, um, uh, you know, you weren't worried about his college degree or his pedigree, right? But he really just seemed like he could be someone that would show up at our family reunion. He was like one step removed from me almost yeah. as a working for a citizen. Does that make sense? It does. In fact, that was one of the questions yeah. I was going to ask was, you know, in, in a place like Appalachia in general, West Virginia specifically, where people 
like clearly vote against their own best interest mm-hmm. um, and have historic like it. That wasn't a Trump thing. We we have done that historically um, going back, you know, to the to the Cold Wars. Um, we've put people in office that don't represent the interests of of the everyday folks in in West Virginia and Appalachia. So how how do you help folks like that understand that supporting this bill helps that make helps them make their lives better? You know, I think um, one of the, the conversations that I often have with the people that I organize beside is. Um, vote your values yeah so uh even in this work with faithful democracy it comes down to values right and what you know what kind of country do we want what what do we really want the foundation of this to look like you know and to me it's justice whether that's uh racial justice economic justice i said the other day democratic justice i'm like did i just make that up but um i you know so what is that going to look like based upon my values I don't know if it really matters which side of the political spectrum you're on, because I think we all want the same things, right? We want to be able to go to work. We want to be able to make a living. We want to be able to do nice things for our kids. We want safe, affordable housing. We want to be able to go to the doctor, you know, so it really doesn't matter what your political party is. You know, we, we, we are building off the same set of values, especially here in a place like West Virginia, you know, like I was born and raised where you take care of your own and you take care of your neighbor. And, you know, it's just this, uh, it's a real compassionate community. And so I think that's another reason why um, I was very interested in, in doing the organizing work on the back end of this. It's mm, amazing. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener-level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan, and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now, back to the podcast. So, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to support the bill, but there's a lot of opposition to passing this legislation. Uh, what are some of the most significant barriers, and, and how do you think they can be overcome? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as much as I talked about the the sort of the comprehensive nature of this bill as being its greatest strength, it is also a weakness that has to be acknowledged because it's complicated, right? And um, as we learned in COVID with CDC guidelines, Americans don't always do well with complex, complicated gray area issues. Um, so, one of the things that I would add also is that polling has again and again shown that if you look at the reforms that are in the For the People Act, they are overwhelmingly popular across the aisle. So the challenge that we're left with is really helping people understand that this bill is those reforms, right? Tying those two together so people can understand that this is this is the bill we've been waiting for to clean up our politics. And the uh, the biggest challenge to that 
is quite honestly the talking points. And we are learning more and more the dark money groups that are coming out in full force with messaging and misinformation to try to paint these as sort of partisan power grabs. And as it's been said again and again, and I know from, from the substance of the bill, the only power grab that is in this bill is a grab for giving power back to the people in right. the way that it was envisioned yeah, yeah. to be. Um, it is very difficult to break through the partisan noise um, these days on anything, much less on sort of this massive omnibus package uh, that, that in many ways doesn't affect people's lives in a direct and tangible way. It's sort of a meta issue, right? right, as, right. as Amy Jo was talking about, she deals, she is accustomed to dealing with sort of the, the meat and the bones of, of reforms that are needed to make people's lives better. Democracy is a one-off from that, but it is so necessary for any of those things to happen, to have a functional democracy that does represent the needs of the people and look out for the common good. So the, the biggest challenge right now, in addition to sort of helping educating people about what is actually in the bill, is um, the way that our Congress, quite honestly, is, is structured and functions at this point. Um, we have in, as I mentioned, this has passed the House. It is currently stuck in the Senate. It is in the next week or two going to come straight up against the filibuster rule, um, which I would say from the get-go, the filibuster has been helpful in many situations to prevent some really bad laws from being passed. So I am not a person to just blanket say, get rid of the filibuster. But what we do know is that it is very problematic in the current partisan environment and is yeah, abused yeah. and exploited as a tool of obstruction for any legislation to pass, right? And it, it could, a, a bill that is wildly popular in theory could be blocked by senators that represent 11% of the nation. So that will sort of give a, a feel for like how out of whack a rule like this is currently functioning um, compared to the way we think a democracy should function. Um, the, the rights of the minority, it is, it is important to keep in mind and can also be abused to oppress. So um, there is a gray area in there of what can be done about the filibuster to make it not so easy to abuse, to make it um, more painful for Senate business if you do have a filibuster. Um, so there's all kinds of reforms that could be made to the filibuster rule short of repealing it that would allow legislation like the For the People Act, which are just critical for the foundation of our nation to be able to move forward and even be debated and voted on, right? We can't even get it to a vote at this point, which is just inherently wrong. Yeah, could you imagine if we actually went back to the roots of the filibuster and asked these people to hold the floor, you know, and keep talking for the entire time? Like, that their privileged butts want nothing to do with that. Right? <laughs> they just right. want to be able to invoke this yeah. rule and then step away from it. And and I think you're right. The original intent was to protect, you know, the rights of minorities and, and to give people a chance to convince their colleagues um, of their position. And now it's just become this obstructionist kind of BS that, that gets in the way of getting things done. 
Yeah. Hey, going back to the uh, the the dark money and the packs and all that. I guess I was a little naive, but I just finished watching. I'm a huge documentary buff. I love documentaries. You're a millennial. That's what y'all do. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in the middle. Depends on I'm either close to Gen X or in the in this weird space. But I just finished watching one about the opioid crisis. Um, they talked about West Virginia. It was on uh, HBO. I think it was called Crime, Great, Greatest Crime in the History or something of that nature. And they were showing the senators that spoke in favor of these companies then got campaign funds and the amounts they got was ridiculous. And I mean, I knew that stuff was happening, but I guess I just didn't realize how much. And I, I love that this would show you, you know, if this passed, like the breakdown of where they're getting them, their money from and who they're, who they're truly supporting. Um, that, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that is also in the For the People Act that is so critical and would be transformational is that it reforms the way that the Federal Election Commission functions so that it would be able to function because it was set up in, I think, in the 70s to monitor and be oversight and enforce our campaign laws that are on the books, right? That is what it is supposed to be doing because of the way that it's been structured and because of the current partisan climate. It is literally not able to take any enforcement actions. They can they can investigate all they want, but they don't have a quorum to be able to then enforce the laws. And all of these large donors are very aware of what the situation is with our national oversight for campaign finance. And we, I am sure that we only know about the tip of the iceberg yeah. mm-hmm. of what is not being monitored and tracked and brought to light. Wow. So, um, Amy, Joe, let me, let me ask, let me kind of turn the conversation a little bit because, you know, we've, we've been talking in kind of big picture terms, which I think is really important for understanding where we are. Um, but you're, you know, you're the grassroots activist, you're the person on the ground and you're specifically working, um, not, not exclusively, but, but very specifically focused on, um, faith communities and people of faith. And, so what what's the importance there? Why is it important for faith communities to get involved? Um, and what does grassroots activist, act, activism, I guess, or advocacy um, look like in that context? Yeah, let's start with the activism part. I think um, sometimes when we use the word activist, especially you know, in the past couple of years, that like in my head, when someone's like, oh, you're an activist, I'm like, well, I, you know, I have a picture of myself standing on the corner with a protest sign somewhere. You know? it, it kind of freaks church folks out a little bit, too. Yeah, it? I mean, it's a weird word. <laughs> I mean, right? I'm all for freaking church folks out. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's a, a weird word. And and yeah. um, I'm trying to, to my mother, for an example, is um, she's quickly approaching her 75th birthday. Um, but she is now involved for the first time in her life. She's calling her elected officials and she's like, hey, I want you to do this. And, uh, you know, I had a conversation with my own mother. I'm like, you're an activist now, you know, and to me, the the difference between an activist is you're not a pacifist, Mm. right? You know, I mean, that may not be right, but that's how I communicate with people. And um, so I think the word activism, we had, we had this conversation yesterday on a call. Um, It could be anything. It could be showing up for a training, you know, just because you're fed up, right? It could be making a phone call, signing a petition, signing a letter, um, there's a little plug there, but uh, so I don't want the word activism to scare people away from this um, because it doesn't have to be loud and scary, right? Um, and the other side of that, 
I think this is important to me because as a poor person, um, and that word is unsettling for a lot of folks, but my experience with poverty, I'm going to tell you, faith is the only thing that has gotten me through on countless occasions. I mean, there were moments, I could tell you moments that uh, Quincy's not even aware of, but I would just receive a random email from her and she's like, hey, you crossed my mind, I'm praying for you. And there were days where that was, you know, I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, like, and that was the only thing that kept me going. And, and so I think, um, you know, there, some people believe that people um, who are struggling financially and struggling with poverty, they lack a little bit of faith. But I kind of want to push back on that because I think that it's faith sometimes is the only thing that you have in your pocket, you know? And so that's why this is so important to me is because I know what it's like when you have to look at something that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't smell just to be able to get out of bed that day and to keep going, you know? So that's my motivation in this work and the fact that um, I'm all about bringing people into the, into the movement and to learn more, you know, the system's not broken it's designed, it works exactly the way it's designed to work. Yeah. So um, that's, I tell people that all the time, and I'm like, it's time for us just to start throwing rocks in the wheel. You know, so that's why I'm here. That, you know, what, what, what occurred to me as you were saying that was um, something that I think we miss, especially in, in institutionalized forms of religion, um, is that faith and activism are not opposites, right? That, yeah, that they yeah. actually go hand in hand with one another. And, you know, even, you know, if we want to talk specifically about the Christian perspective, like Jesus was an activist, right? He was an Jesus, organizer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that to, to be a person of faith doesn't mean you sit back and passively wait for things to happen, wait for, you know, God to act in miraculous and supernatural ways, um, but to be a part of the, of the work that God is doing. Um, you know, you look at the, if you look at the scriptural narrative, yeah, there, there are a few accounts of things that can't be explained through natural sciences, according to the context of the people's times who wrote it. But, but all of the things that God gets credit for doing are things that people actively do as inspired by whatever their experience of the divine is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, a story about a, a drought. And so, you know, they need rain. This side starts digging the ditches and this side doesn't, right? This side sits around and complains and waits for God to bring the rain. This side actually prepares for the rain, right? And I mean, I'm, I've been the only parent now, two kids uh, for 15 or 17 years. And um, I can't tell you the droughts <laughs> that I have survived. And you can ask my daughter is one of, it was a sermon that I heard in church. It was one of those sermons that I can't let go of. And, and it was dig your ditches, you know, like, so I tell my girls all the time, I'm like, this is just a moment. Like, we're going to get through this. We just have to, we have to dig our ditches and prepare ourselves for the blessings. Right. So, I mean, I think um, a lot of people probably have never thought of, of me and my life as being um, even attached to the faith. But I just, you know, we are called to help, right? The fatherless and the widow. That's the one thing that really, um, that really motivates me. I think um, it probably was my first organizing job. 
um, it wasn't a job, it was a volunteer effort, but it was because of that, you know, because um, the first single mom in the Bible was Jesus's mother, right? Like, I mean, you know, I remember doing a spoken word once where I'm like, Jesus was raised by a single mother. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's constantly that because I needed that encouragement because I wasn't getting it from the government system. I wasn't getting it from uh, food pantries. I, you know, I wasn't getting it um, a sustainable form of encouragement and support from anyone else. Right. So yeah, my yeah. community fed that to me. Yeah. I, I love the example that you used, Amy Joe, about um, sort of one side is, is working on ditch, digging the ditch and for, getting ready, right? And living the way, essentially. And I think one of the connections with democracy in the United States and with people of faith is that we are called to build, as a Christian, a new creation, right? To improve the world, to protect the vulnerable, all of the values and the um, exhortations that we have in our sacred uh, sacred scripture to to improve the world. And in the United States, that is done primarily through our political systems. And so digging the ditch in that sense means shoring up those systems so that they are actually capable of being a mechanism to build that new creation, right? Because if you have special interests and money that are running the show, they ain't going to build that new creation. That's not what their goals are, right? <laughs> They're and specifically so invested <laughs> in the old creation, right? <laughs> that is correct, right? And so yeah. in, in order to, to, as a nation, through our current systems, be able to bring about that new vision, we have to have a functional democracy. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. And I don't want to put words into, Joe, maybe you can double check me on this, but I know from my background, as a considering myself a spiritual exile, the other side is where I came from, who just waited for God to do some miraculous thing and had no mm-hmm. activism or no dig in the ditch. And I think that's a big, a big tenet or a big thing that spiritual exiles are just fed up with is sitting around and waiting for God. You know what I mean? That social justice in my generation, the younger generations, is becoming more prominent and Older generations will will kind of you know spit on that and say, oh, those millennials or those you know whatever. But I think we just got tired of sitting around and waiting. And I love what you said because there's always that conversation of you got to keep religion out of politics and you can't talk about politics and religion. But what you just said is so good that nor we got to dig the ditch. But how is it done in America? Yeah, through a functional government and politics. So good. I mean, politics. Politics is literally no more than the way we arrange our public life. That's right. That's that's really all it is. But okay. we've we've especially within the church, yeah. we've given it all of this extra baggage, right? And um, and I think a lot of time, I think you're right, Brandon. Especially in like, especially in traditions like you came from, <laughs> that that tend to lean more towards the conservative side politically. Um, which is not the same as being theologically conservative necessarily. But I think a lot of that is because they perceive that one side reflects their values. They feel the luxury of being able to step back and just say, we're, we're not involved in politics. We're just going to let those people handle it. Um, but but you can't not be political. Like you, it's If you're going to participate in public life, that's what politics is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
One one other thing that I would add um, that I've been sort of thinking on um, as I've been working with Amy Jo about how can we really um, help these ideas to sink in with people of faith is that if you look at our our at scripture, there are very clear examples of um, what leadership should look like and what leadership should not look like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, King David, uh, take your pick, Jesus, right? There's <laughs> there's plenty of examples of contrast between what we should aspire to and what we should avoid. And it seems to me that the way our current politics are working and with campaign finance and all of the dynamics that play into that, it is incentivized to be the type of leader that we should be avoiding. And those types of leaders that we should aspire to, there are so many barriers and hurdles for them to to take up that mantle of leadership that it is, it's crippling. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a seminary flashback to <laughs> old Testament studies and, you know, the, especially the, the books of the Kings, you know, so-and-so was the King yeah, me too. over Israel and he did evil <laughs> in the sight of the Lord. Like every chapter starts with that admonition. And yet we have um, a, a political system and, and sadly often a religious system that, those are the kinds of folks that we keep putting back in office over and over and over again. Wow. This has been, this has been such an interesting conversation. Um, and we're, we're kind of coming close to the end of the time here. Um, is there anything else that, that you all would like to add that we haven't gotten around to yet? Anything that you wanted to say that we, that we haven't gotten to? We have some plugs to make. Do we hear Plug about away. That's that, right. Yeah. That's so, what you're here for. <laughs> so, I mean, every organizer has an ask, right? Um, so we have a sign-on letter uh, where we're asking people, um, people of faith, um, whatever that looks like to you, to sign on to allow Senator Manchin and Capito to know that we're out here, we're watching, uh, we're organizing, and we're paying attention. You know, this is really important to us as a community. Um, and then we also have these workshop trainings. We call them Train the Trainer. And... Uh, the first session is going to start next week, June 1st, and we're going to have uh, two sessions during that week. And the time we can pass the times on to you, Joe. Um, um, but it's going to be designed. It's designed to help people like, you know, with the activism conversation we had here. We're going to carry that on a little bit. Why it's important for us to be involved, what that looks like to be involved. And then we're going to move on to sessions two and three, which are about an informative and a reformative uh, government system. And so what people from the faith community and believers can do to get involved and plug in. So we're really excited about both things. Um, I'm particularly excited about the trainings. You know, I haven't facilitated anything in a long time because of uh, COVID. So I'm really looking forward to just being able to be in front of a a group on Zoom. It's going to be virtual. Um, Or if they have a few friends, call me up and we can see what we can do about bringing it to you. You know, we can can shorten it a little bit and... um, I'm, I'd be more than happy to make a day trip of it. So great, those great, are my, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we'll, to say that a little better, but those are my asks. The, that's all. And we'll have, we'll have links to, um, to the sign on letter and where people can get more information about the training events in the program notes. Um, so that'll be included with that. Um, sister Quincy, anything else, uh, you want to tell yeah. the folks? I think we can we can also include this in the links, but on our website, faithfuldemocracy.us, we have a resources page where people can really dig into the different reforms that I've rushed on so that they can learn exactly what is in the bill. 
Um, and then we also have on our take action page, sort of uh, advocacy resources, leave behinds to take to your, con your senators or Congress people, as well as talking points on the bill that are faith-based. So um, visit our website is what I would say. Very good. Very good. Besides the website, any place where folks can connect with you and get involved, or is that sort of the primary outlet for that? That's the main one in West Virginia, Amy Joe is is our go-to person. So if anyone in West Virginia, faith community or otherwise, seekers or parts um, within congregations or houses of worship, Amy Joe, Amy Joe at faithfuldemocracy.us is um, is the go-to person and she'll plug people in accordingly based on their interests, what they want to learn, how they want to engage whether or not they want to call themselves activists or advocates. Um, it's neither here nor there for us. We just want people to engage on the issue and understand it. Yeah. And Amy, Jerry, you told me the other day that you think you have um, nearly everyone in West Virginia's phone number in your contacts now, right? <laughs> yeah. I think they have mine too. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What's one more? That's true. Yeah, I That's think this true. is, um, to me, this is really exciting because it is based upon the foundation of everything that I hope to build. And, you know, whatever this, this rush is over. So um, I also want to point out that I'm very grateful that they tap West Virginians to help move this work forward here instead of people from outside the state. I think that's very important for us to mention. Yeah. Well, and the, for those of us who are, you know, from West Virginia and, you know, obviously not all, even all of our listeners are, but um, that, that's a very West Virginian and Appalachian thing. We've been so exploited um, and colonized by outside influences um, that we, we do tend to trust our own folks <laughs> a little, a little yeah. more quickly sometimes, no matter yes. how, no matter how trustworthy others might be. Um, yes. We, we've been burned a time or two in these, yeah. in these hollers. Right. So. Yeah. So I promise people this will not be a transactional relationship. So. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Our, our hope, our hope with faithful democracy is that because we do have this opportunity to sort of dig in deep in West Virginia, that while our specific purpose is to pass this legislation, the hope is that this can be an infrastructure of people of faith in the state that can then continue working on leadership development and, and implementing many of the reforms that are in the For the People Act to sort of really shore up our democracy in an active and participative way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially just to, uh, one more example. Um, I'm involved with a lot of food security work here. That's my passion. I don't understand why we're why we're hungry when we throw away so much food, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so it would be fantastic if we had uh, a faith community that we could mobilize when it came time to get those pieces of legislation pushed forward, you know, and those voices heard mm -hmm. as to what that's like. So, yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, thanks again to both of you for yes, being our guests here today. Um, really excited for folks to to hear about the work you're doing, to hear about um, Faithful Democracy and learn a little bit more about the For the People Act and the ways that we can all get involved um, to try to make our democracy just more functional um, so that it so that it serves all of the people and not just a few. Right. So, Amen. so thanks. Thanks again. Thank We're grateful for you. And uh Hope, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, thanks so I much. It. Thank you so much for having us. Man, Brandon, that was such an amazing conversation yeah. with Amy Joe and Sister Quincy. I, I learned um, so much about 
um, how how complicated um, <laughs> these issues are and and nuanced um, and all of that and um, and learn so much more about the for the people act itself and how much is involved with that it, it was it was way more than I had realized and I'm really grateful um, to Sister Quincy and to Amy Joe for for educating us and for educating our listeners um, and hopefully um, folks go to um, faithful faithfuldemocracy.us and uh, and sign on uh, to the letter there and 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 get involved in your own local communities as in, in any ways you can. Yeah, this was one of the conversations I, I would have loved to go three or four hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it was so good. It was so But good. as always, if you're interested in the content we're creating and curating for the Action on Tomatoes community, you can find us online at actionontomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Action on Tomatoes. And if you have ideas or suggestions for future guests or topics for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can find us and contact us again through our website, or you can message us on social media, or you can send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, once again, please be sure to give us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in the conversations that we're having together. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing in Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash Tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.